Anyway, um, Frank and I have been uh, here at the Vineyard um, this time around since August of last year. And uh, we had the privilege of being here at the Vineyard prior, about 2009 through about 2011, something like that. Um, So this is like home to us. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about me, for those of you who don't know me, I uh, have been married to this wonderful man here, going on 29 years this June, a few weeks. I met him in high school, and uh, I don't know if it was lucky for him, lucky for me, he sat next to me in English class, and uh, the story basically is I was very heartbroken because this other unlucky young man broke my heart, and it just was enough for me to turn my head over to Frank and notice him, and I was telling the story to somebody, uh, actually it was Pastor Bill. Um, and uh, he was saying, how did you and Frank meet? And I told him, and he said, oh, so Frank was a rebound. (laughs) I thought, I never thought about that, but uh, I guess he kind of was. But 29 years later, and five kids, uh, we have five children. Um, Our oldest is 25, and he lives in Denton, Texas, and he's been pecking away at his degree. He's almost done up there at UNT. I have another son who works for a uh, security firm up in Austin. He graduated from UT Austin. We are Longhorns. Yes, we are. (laughs) That is something very, very uh, difficult to say in this area because there are a lot of Aggies down here. I have nothing against Aggies, but we are. We bleed orange in our home. And um, our daughter's about to go to UT Austin in the spring. She's going to major in biology. Um, And... uh, so anyway, we have our older two, and then I have another son who's actually a welder, and uh, he's uh, in school right now. He's studying to be a welder at Bradsburg College, and our twins just graduated on Friday. Now, um, those of you who uh, have experienced graduation, you know what it's like. It's a milestone. There's a lot of celebration, and I had no clue what it was going to be like with two graduating. Uh, But that's the way it's been with them. Um, Having them too in our life has been such a joy. Um, And I tell everybody, they were probably the easiest ones to raise. And I don't know if that's a compliment to us because we were just more experienced. I don't think so. Um, I think it was them. They, they They were just easy kids. And you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have raised, you have some kids that take more attention and some that require more, and then there's some kids that just seem to just roll with the punches and don't require a whole lot. And that's what it's been like. If I were to say what I have a desire for as a person would be um, to really reach out to families, you know, God kind of placed us in this interesting situation uh, 19 years ago when I became pregnant. Um, I'll be honest with you, when I first found out, it was something I wasn't really happy about. I was done. Three boys, done. And I called an aunt, um, a dear aunt, and I told her about it. And I said, I'm pregnant, and I am not happy about this. Um, And uh, I knew there was going to be a path in front of me. I I had plans. I had these things I wanted to do. And... um, Then she said, wait a minute. And she's a pastor's wife, and she has a lot of wisdom. And she said, 
what if you get a little girl? What if you have a little girl? Well, then, of course, we know now it was twins. So, <laughs> so then the second time when I did find out after my ultrasound I had twins, it became laughter. And it was something almost like the Bible talked like Sarah. When she found out she was pregnant with Isaac, she laughed. I laughed. It was something that came out of my belly. I, it was just so beyond me that I was going to have twins. So we are a big family. Uh, my daughter, she laughs. She makes me laugh all the time because we don't know how to cook for a small family. We just don't. Most people cook for small amounts, two people, four people. We always cook big. And so my daughter, when she was learning how to cook, she says, Mom, I'm going to go off to college. I don't know what it is to cook just for us, you know. I said, hey, well, you're just going to have a lot of people over. <laughs> so anyway, they graduated, and that was really fun. And um, graduation is an experience in itself. And it's the time when families get to basically be the fool, Right. We don't care what anybody says. In fact, everybody's giving these inspirational speeches and they're giving all these best wishes and this valedictorian has their speech. And I mean, it's going one ear out the other. We're just, re we're just waiting to hear that name, get on with it so that we can release balloons, make noise, scream like a, like a fool out there. And so there were some people who did. And it was funny because this people next to us, I had never seen these. But there were these things of like cannons, and they pulled them, and this thing went boom. I mean, there were two of them that went off, and this confetti about that big flew out and all over the I had never seen that. I thought they must have gotten that from some firework stand or something. So there was stuff like that going on, and then the lights went out, too. So that was an experience. They were almost at the end, and it was like you saw the spark in the... Uh, somebody said the transformer blew. It almost looked like a fireworks explosion off to the side, and the lights just went boom in the stadium. And we were in the dark. And uh, this truck came out and sh shone the lights on the stage there. And that's how they finished. And slowly the lights did come up towards the end, but they jumped right in. And so it was an experience. They're never going to forget that. Lights went out during graduation. So I know there were some administrators there who were biting their nails, sitting there wondering, oh, no, we have 530 young people here about to go crazy. And they were standing, and they're trying to keep them, you know, together. So anyway, that's a little bit. <laughs> that was something else. So anyway, Frank and I, we've lived here in the Brazosport area since 1995, 22 years. I come from San Antonio. That's where I was born and raised in a very large Hispanic family, very happy family. Uh, when I see the Martinez's, um, you guys are an amazing family, and I look to y'all because you remind me a lot of our family, just a big, happy family. Um, they loved God. Um, my uncles, my grandfather were pastors, so we just always had these big get-togethers with lots of food, and that's what I grew up in. And uh, Frank lived here in this area and went to Beewood for a couple years and then went up there just long enough to meet me. Sad little me. <laughs> so anyway, that's a little bit about who I am. And um, so we're blessed. We are tired from this weekend. It's been a full weekend with graduation and celebration, but our kids, they're, they're grown and they're moving on to their new phase in life. This morning, what I want to just talk to you is just something really simple that's been on my heart, and it's being mindful in a mindless world. 
Um, mindful, the word there, the root there, you see the word mind. It has to do with your mind, has to do with thinking and really being intentional. My background is in psychology. I had my undergrad in psychology. And so things that involve the mind and uh, behavior interests me a lot. And so um, that's kind of the vein. If you see those kind of things woven through what I talk about, that's because of those things that interest me. And raising kids, too, you know, you have to learn how to use some of that positive reinforcement and sometimes kind of use backward psychology to kind of get them to learn things. Being mindful in a mindless world. I'm not going to talk much about what mindlessness is in this world. There's a lot of that going on. You know, you get on social media, and it's really easy to get caught up in the latest clickbait, in the latest, uh, somebody can put something, what we call flaming tweets, things that can just key us up really quick. Um, So I don't need to really go into what's out there. We know, we see enough of it. But I will say this, I want to focus on being mindful. Because that's something that right now, God's working in me. There's a story about the wife and the roast that I'm going to share with you. And it goes like this. There's this young bride that, uh, and some of those are going to probably trigger some (laughs) hunger pangs. uh, But there was a story about a young wife who basically decides to make a roast for her husband. And so she goes through and gets all the vegetables together. And right before she puts the roast into the pan, she cuts both ends off, sticks it in the oven, cooks it. So they're eating, and her husband goes, honey, this is really delicious. He says, but why did you cut the ends of the roast off? And she says, well, mom always did it that way. I don't know what the significance is. So next time they were at her mother's home, <clears throat> she said, mom, um, I made roast, you know, last week, and... Um, why did you cut the ends of the roast off? I mean, I did it just like you did. And, you know, what's this, you know, is that part of the recipe? You know, because my husband was saying, you know, he likes, that's his favorite part, the ends. And she said, well, you know, that's how grandma did it. (laughs) She said, I really don't know. So the next time she saw her grandma, she went up to her and she said, Nana, she said, I made a roast not too long ago. Uh, for my hubby here, and, um, and I asked mom about this, about why she cut the ends off, and she said that she didn't know why. She, you know, she said that you always did it that way. And so she said, what, what was it? Is that something secret? The other, what, what's the deal? She says, oh, honey, she goes, there wasn't anything special about that. I just didn't have a big enough pan. We, we see there that the wife basically was finding, trying to find something secret about it and just going about doing things. How many times do we do things without thinking simply because they've just always been done that way, right? Ephesians 5.15 in the voice says, so be careful how you live. Be mindful of your steps. Don't run around like idiots as the rest of the world does. Instead, walk as the wise. That's really strong here. Don't run around like idiots. 
I get on the highway, and I'm telling you, there are some idiots out there that drive. <laughs> Idiot! <laughs> Cuts me off or whatever they're doing. Bible says here, be careful how you live. Be mindful of your steps. And don't run around like idiots as the rest of the world does. Instead, walk as the wise. Because we know that in the world, there isn't a whole lot of thinking. We live in a very impulsive time right now. You just do things more than ever. I thought my generation was very impulsive. We were the, the generation of excess, you know? And we were the generation that, that uh, in the 80s, we just bought everything in sight and, and lived high and large because greed was good. But nowadays, there's impulsivity. You click, you do it. I can order a meal online, just click and do it. I don't even have to think about it. Bible's saying here, be careful how you live. Be mindful of your steps. If we look at the Oxford Dictionary, it says that mindlessness is acting or done without justification and with no concern of the consequences. And I put in the bottom there, not thinking, being childish. One of the most beautiful things about being a child, but one thing that often gets them into a lot of trouble is the fact that they are not mindful, right? As a child, children don't think, they just do. They just do. And it's not until they experience certain things, don't touch that because it's hot, don't touch that because it's hot, they touch it, it's hot, they remember. Because it's behavior, going back to that psychology I was telling you about, behavior, they don't think. It's a beautiful thing to be free. I can't even imagine what it would be like if I were Lydia right now, not thinking, just walking around doing whatever I wanted to. Because I'm thinking about everything I got to do. I got to get up in the morning. I got to do this. I got things I got to get ready for. I have to prepare to come to church. I have to practice or whatever I need to do in my life. So mindlessness, acting or done without justification with no concern for the consequences. Contrasting that is mindfulness. That's a state of being aware. To be mindful is to have specified facts or feelings impressed on the mind. Again, go to that root word of mind. It's being deliberate or intentional in the action. And that's the action behind mindfulness. You're deliberate and intentional. In other words, if I'm mindful, my actions become intentional. If I think about what I'm doing, as adults... We have to get up every morning. Some of us work. We get up. We get ready. We have to go to work. So we're mindful of the time. We're mindful of, you know, I'm running late this morning. Or I'm going to get there a little bit early. We're mindful. Our actions become intentionalness, intentional. Mindfulness, the psalmist, Psalm 26.3 in the NIV says, For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance of your faithfulness. The psalmist is a perfect example of someone who was very mindful. David, who wrote the majority of the psalms, was very mindful of everything he did before God. This morning, we were singing very intentional words. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say, you are my God. We sung about, about those, that intimate relationship with God. We were being very intentional with our worship. The psalmist 
was mindful. The verse right before that, the second verse, Psalm 26, 2 says, examine my heart, O God. He tells God, God, examine me. Look at me. See if there's anything that's just not right with you. Because I've always been mindful of your unfailing love. It takes, we're going to talk about habits now. It takes blank days to form a habit. Anybody here want to try that one? 30? 30? 21? How many have heard that one? It takes 21 days to form a habit. That sound familiar to some of you? It's an old saying. It takes 21 days to form a habit. It's an old saying. It's actually attributed to a man by the name of Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And it's actually not exactly written that way, but a lot of uh, motivational speakers kind of turned it into that. What actually happened was, as a plastic surgeon, he did a lot of reconstructive surgeries. Uh, a lot of people who had been in war or maybe had deformities on their bodies. And he found that when he would operate on them and do the reconstruction of the nose, or let's say they had an amputation, it took about 21 days for them to basically accept the new normal. And this was something he just found on his own. As he was operating, he, he figured he would notice, you know, they would be healing and in the hospital and going home. And it would be about week three or so that they actually adjusted to having, if he did a nose job and realigned, it took him about, about three weeks. It actually takes two to eight months, and researchers actually went back, and, and there were some people who were actually were like, well, I wonder how long it does take to form a habit, right? Based on Maxwell Maltz's experience, let's see what we can really find out. And it actually takes anywhere between two to eight months. Now, I was in Weight Watchers probably about 10, 15 years ago. I used to go to Weight Watchers meetings. Anybody here ever been to Weight Watchers meetings? And um, uh, for those of you who have, you know that they talk about mindless eating, okay? And mindless eating, the best example of that is to basically, like, get a bag of chips, go sit in front of the TV, and just, and before you know it, you're like, oh, I finished the whole thing. <laughs> and then you look at the side, and you're going, Oh my God, that's like a week's worth of calories, right, in this. Um, that's mindless eating. So they talked a lot about mindless eating. And uh, so in order for you to get into um, the D word, the diet word, uh, basically it, it's being mindful in what you eat and portioning your plates. So it, they would tell you in, in, um, in uh, Weight Watchers basically that you come to these meetings, you, you stick with the plan, it's going to take you probably about six to eight months, a year, that the weight's going to come off because you didn't get here overnight. So it's very mindful. You can't be mindless when it comes to uh, healthy eating. I told somebody uh, a few weeks ago, if you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. When it comes to dieting, when it comes to changing a habit, when it comes to anything in your life that you're planning you want to do something, if you want something you've never had, you got to do something you've never done. You want a job, working, making money, well, you have to do things you've never done before to get to that. 
If you want to be a doctor, you got to go educate yourself and practice. I was talking about behavior and how long it takes to form a habit. And we humans establish habits by re repetitive behave behavior. Um, we know about Ivan Pavlov's dogs. We were talking about your dogs this morning. And I put the, the uh, bulldog up there in honor of Kim and Jeff because uh, Kim and Jeff have four bulldogs. And I have never met them, uh, but I see these adorable pictures online all the time. And I hear a lot about Costa, so Costa must be your character. Yeah, <laughs> one of them, yeah. one of them. Um, and of course, I put the lab up there because we have a lab. So, but if you see right there, they have the drool coming out of their, their mouth. And, um, and you can't see the drool. The picture's kind of uh, blurry, but uh, there's drool coming out of the uh, bulldog's mouth. And from what I understand, bulldogs have a lot of slobber, right? They're very slobbery dogs. And, and so um, I have that up there for a reason, because uh, Pavlov was a researcher in the early 1900s who researched on um, dogs and their saliva. He was interested in these instinctive uh, behaviors that dogs had. And what happened was by accident. A lot of these things happen by accident, you know? And we call them happy accidents because they, they change the course of our learning and, and uh, what we study. And what he found was he would have his assistant go take the food over to the dogs, right? And the dogs would salivate, they'd eat the food. And then they were doing this research. Well, what was happening was his assistant would go into the room sometimes when it was not food time. It was just like to clean the cages and the dogs would start salivating because they had associated the assistant with eating. Okay, we know that. We have pets, so we know that there's sometimes we go into the kitchen. We have cats, okay, inside, and it never fails. If you just go in that kitchen, they think it's food time. They come right up there, and they're ready, and they're meow, meow. They're, they're sitting there. They want to eat, and some of them yowl. I have one that's a yowler. Meow. <laughs> he does that funny little meow, you know. <laughs> and uh, so animals, they learn by behavior, right? So... That's what Pavlov found with children. If any of us who've raised kids know this, you know, with little ones, it takes repetition and routine. Same thing over and over and over again. When our oldest um, was young, he was about six months old, and we were new parents. And when you're, you have your first child, that's always the hardest one because you don't know what you're doing, and you're trying to figure out what works and doesn't work. Well, he had sleep problems, and he was one my, my, my child who didn't really sleep a whole lot. In fact, he still doesn't. He's up in, in Denton, and he's, he's a night owl. He sleeps during the day, and he's up all night. Well, as a baby, um, we would put him down, and at the time, I was nursing, so Frank, he took the job of putting him into the crib. That's how he helped me. So I'd feed him, and Frank would put him in the crib. And honest to God, Frank was just reminding me this. He would be on his knees, crawling out of the room. And I'm talking, if there was just even a little crinkle or something, Mitch would pop right up. He was just up, keyed up all the time. 
It took repetition and routine. We went to the doctor. He's six months old. He sometimes sleeps in the night and sometimes he doesn't. What's going on? What are we doing? And he, he asked us, he said, tell me about his crib. Describe his crib to me. So we start telling him when we have the bumper and, you know, well, there's his wubbies in there, his little blanket, you know. And, you know, we have, like, little stuffed animal in the corners. And, you know, then I was telling him he had a little toy that was attached to the side of the crib, a little activity toy. And he said, well, there's your problem. He said he doesn't associate his crib. It's just like another place of the house for him. It's not for sleep. Well, then why do they make those things? <laughs> right? That's the first thing I thought. Why do they make crib toys? Why do they make all this? And he said, well, for babies that have, don't have sleep problems, that's not an issue. He said, your son's having sleep problems, so he's associating his crib like a playroom, or it's, it's not different. He says, take everything out of there except the bumper. So we did. And just like he told us, he said, do the same thing every night. Bathe him, put him down. If you sing to him, you know, if you pray for him, whatever, do the same thing every single night, and you're going to see a difference. And I'm thinking, there's no way. This kid, if a crinkle even happens, he wakes up. Well, it did work, and we did get some rest uh, because we did what he said. And same thing every night. We cleared his crib, and he began to associate, just like Pavlov's dogs, and I'm not comparing him to a dog, but I'm just saying behavior, psychology again, behavior. He began to associate his bed with sleep. And he started sleeping. Our actions as parents were very mindful, very intentional, very deliberate, and there was change. You see where I'm going with this? Proverbs 22.6 in the Amplified says, Train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will, and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. All we can do as parents is point the way to our kids, to God. Sometimes they follow God. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have a relationship with God that's different from ours. And see, I had to grow out of that. We, we had to get to a place in our parenting that I wanted God to be their God, their personal relationship with God, not Lydia's, not Frank's, just because I sing on worship team and I'm involved and I do this and I like that. We would love for our kids to do that, but I had to die to those desires very early on and say, okay, I'm going to train up this child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. I'll be honest with you. Some of my kids don't serve God. They're going through, you know, I pray for them and, and they're, they're seeking and, and doing that introspection that Bill talked about last, last uh, week 
you get to your 20s and we get into this existential thinking, which is just a $10 word for why do I exist? Why is there a God? God doesn't care. He's invisible. I don't see him. I know God. God's just a good feeling. In name only, just God. And it's easy for young people to be cynical, especially this generation. Right? And so mom and dad, we pray for them. They know we love God. They know we serve God. But last August, it was actually would have been over the summer, July, I began really seeking God for my family. Whatever I do, God, I'm just going to plug away, and I need for you to do something different. And so I began to look for a Bible study, and I started Googling and looking for Bible studies, home groups, something for our family to get involved in. And I'm going to basically do a sorry, not sorry plug uh, for this. <laughs> but it's about Alpha. And um, we, I found this online about Alpha. I kept seeing it come up. And so um, there, were, there were other, other things out there, but I just, it just kept coming up. So I looked, researched, and I thought, oh, this is pretty, pretty interesting, Alpha. You know, my kids are in that existential stage right now. They're all adults in college, and they're, they're beginning to really, you know, sometimes they go the other way, and they want to answer questions. They want questions answered about their lives. Sometimes they, you know. So uh, the three that are home, we committed as a family. Let's see if we can go to find an alpha course here in this area. And lo and behold, the Vineyard Church showed up, and then another church in Sugarland, and there was something else. I thought, well, here, the vineyard. Oh my God, it's right here. We've been there before. So I called and we showed up the first day. And um, I've been raised in church all my life. I've known God from a very young age. My husband has been walking with the Lord for many years since he was a, a young boy. But what I found in Alpha is that it changed my life and my family. We came for them. And it was a safe place to ask questions, those existential questions of why am I here? Why does God not heal certain people? Questions like that. And it made a tremendous, tremendous change in our life. And um, if you have not ever taken Alpha, here's my shameless plug right here. <laughs> My sorry, not sorry, come to Alpha. You will be changed. It's a commitment. You have dinner. You watch the video, and then you talk. You have these really very neat, in-depth talks. Everything out on the table. Nothing's a bad question. And you learn about what it really means to be a Christ follower. My kids needed that. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to be very transparent with you right now. My kids needed that. Because you see, without getting into anything 
in depth. I think I can speak in generalities here and y'all will understand. Christianity doesn't really have a lot of positive things recently. That's the first thing they ask me. Why do I want to follow God? Is that being a Christian? Now, I'm not going to get into to any of y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. What I was trying to tell them and through Alpha is that all of that aside, this is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. Being intentional and deliberate, we came through the doors of Alpha and had those moments with God, those tender moments of why am I here? And some of the questions are real introspective. They make you look in. Isn't that not true? You look in and you begin to really think in a safe place. And even though they've been raised in church, Frank and I were in ministry at a church for several years as worship leaders. So they've been raised. They know. They, they know about God. But see, now God's becoming their God. And that's what I wanted. See? Because it'd be real easy for them to just do what we did. Right on mommy and dad's coattails, right? Come to church and do things. But they're not having that personal relationship with God. Now it's getting, now the rubber's meeting the road. Now they're being mindful of their walk. Things are becoming uncomfortable in their lives. They're, they're, they're adulting, like they say now. They're adulting. And they're seeing things happen. Ephesians 5.15 in the voice says again, be careful how you live. Be mindful of your steps. Don't run around like idiots as the rest of the world does. Instead, walk as the wise. The next verse says, making the most of every living and breathing moment because these are evil times. This was written 2,000 years ago, and it is so applicable today, making the most of every living and breathing moment because these are evil times. It is evil right now. There's nothing easy right now in the world. There's a lot of good, but we live in a time where people's, people are being challenged on how they think and what they believe in. They're being tested. And, and here Paul saying, make the most of every living thing. He wrote these to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. See, during that time in Ephesus, they lived under the Roman Empire during that time. So they, they were a new religion. See, they were just seeing him as another religion to add on to all the other gods that the Romans worshipped at that time. So here was this fresh church of believers that went around loving people and forgiving. And so Paul's telling them, these are evil times right now during the Roman Empire. They're evil. They worship and they do all kinds of crazy stuff in their temples. And they do, we just live however we want. And he's saying, be mindful. Be mindful and careful of how you live, church in Ephesus. Make the most of every 
living and breathing moment because these are evil times and here we are today. In 2014, January, I went to my doctor's office and I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Totally pulled the rug out from under me. Anybody who has had an illness or been through something like that, and Betty, I hope I can, I can share this because you went through this here recently. When you are at the edge of death and you're looking at that big abyss of maybe I might be crossing over, maybe I won't. Let me tell you, things start to really change in your head and you start being really mindful of every day you have left. You know, we live in a, in a time where technology is just amazing. The, the life expectancy has increased now. I think they raised it up by another year now. People are living longer and longer because of technological advances and we can have pacemakers and, and, and things put in our bodies to help us live longer. And yet, the Bible says we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when that appointment is, that big appointment. We've gotten pretty good about predicting when we can be born, right? A woman gets pregnant, she can pretty much figure out when her appointed day is. And now we've even gotten it down to the day. You can have a C-section now. You can make your appointment. If I don't have a baby before, then I can go have a C-section and give birth, but we don't know when we're going to die for the most part. And if anybody has ever worked with uh, hospice or end of life, and you, you, you're around that kind of environment, you get to be really get a glimpse into that other, that big... When I cross the big sea, when I, when I get in that pine box, when, when I, you know, when I am finally at the end. And see, when I got diagnosed that January, it totally rocked my world. And so I went that entire year through chemotherapy because the type of cancer I had, they gave me the chemo first and then they operated to take it out. You know, I was ready, just get it out of me. And I, I begged my doctor, just, just, just take it. I really, and he said, we can't do that. The type of cancer you have, we have to treat it for and, sh and shrink that tumor before we can take it out. So in an entire year of, of just six months of chemo, losing my hair, losing my eyebrows, and for women, I wear makeup. I like my lipstick. I like makeup and eyeshadow. And just having all of that disappear and a ghost of me, I literally was, I was bald. And so when you see, when I begin to see eternity right there in front of me, I don't know if I'm going to make this. I was diagnosed with stage two. And, and even then, when they, they diagnose you, they base it on how they measure the tumor and, you know, according to where it's located, and they put dyes into you and according, you know, and they can kind of see where it is. And so it, it had metastasized. It was in my lymph nodes. 
And so I had my surgery that October. So that entire year was cancer year. 2014 is cancer year. But I can tell you one thing. God was always there. Let me tell you, when you're that close to death, if you really just be mindful, you realize that God is right there. He was just there the whole time. And I experienced him in a way I had never in my entire life. And that's what I love about God is that he's an amazing God. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he's also so amazingly complex and simple at the same time. There's such depth to him and such enormity to him that I'm always discovering something new. And anybody who's walked along with God can say the same thing. I went into an alpha class, which is for people who know, who want to learn about God. And here Lydia was learning awesome things about the Lord all over again and, and feeling that well spring up in me. Who can we be mindful with? I put family. Our work environment, the people that we love. And I put this little group of people here. And I intentionally, I intentionally found this because I saw people of different races, different ages, some people are dressed up. Some people are, you know, they look like they're in school. We have neighbors. We have people in our lives right now that we can be mindful with. Uh, last week, um, I had the awesome, awesome, it was just a God moment at work. There was a, a lady there who's really going through something very difficult in regards to um, her child, and it's a custody type of situation, and so she'd been missing a lot of work, and I saw her. I hadn't seen her in a while. So I went up to her, and I said, hey, I said, how, how are you doing? I said, I want you to know I've been just thinking. I was very intentional, and I just said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about you. You've been on my heart. How is it going? And she just broke down right there. We're in the middle of a hallway on the second floor up there. I work at BC, Bradsport College. And so she, she, we're up there in the second floor and she just crying. We moved over to the side and she just shared her heart and the situation she's in with this custody. And, you know, right away my gears started going in my head. And I said, okay, Holy Spirit, I, I need for you to come now because I need to know how, how do I reach out to her right now? And I just, in my head, I just kept hearing one step at a time, baby steps, one step at a time, just today. So I said, can I pray for you? I took the bold step. Can I just pray with you right now? And she said, yeah, I would like that very much. So right there in the hallway, I just right there prayed for her. And I said, God, today. That's all we ask, just for today. Help my sister get through today. Because she had to have a full day of work. We're in the morning, you know, and she, here she's 
a wreck and she had to still get through this day because I asked her a simple question like, how are you doing, right? No, you got to get through the day. You got to pay for your bills. You can't just, you know, so she had to get through today. So that's what we prayed and, and it really helped her a lot. She said, thank you. That's exactly what I needed. And she got through the day. And I said, if it takes a minute, if you got to do it minute by minute, hour by hour, you just do it one step at a time, just a little bit at a time. Okay, next 15 minutes, I'm going to get through today. Next 30 minutes. So it was, it was a, a, a lesson in just being mindful and just being intentional at that moment. The last picture I have up is just something that I um, found. This is what being mindful in action is to me. Neighbors, this word cloud, humanity, inspiration, thoughtful, different words may pop out for you. There are things that we can do to be intentional and mindful in, in reaching out to the world next to us. And one thing I just love about this church, about the vineyard, is I think Bill, he, he, he says it, uh, that uh, John Wimber had said that everybody plays. Is that what he said? Everybody gets to play? Everybody gets to play? That's why somebody like me can stand in front of you and just share from her heart because see, there aren't any lofty titles, pastor so-and-so or minister so-and-so, and, and that's great for certain things. But what I love about the Vineyard is that you and I can share from our hearts and reach out with the love of God to one another and encourage one another. There's a world out there that needs compassion, that needs our encouragement, and we need to be mindful, making the most of every living and breathing moment because these are evil times. And I want to close out like this. And Jeff, if you want to come out and just uh, some music. If we all stand, it's going to be real simple.